0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't want to live my life in fear. I don't want fear to have that much control over my
1: life. I don't want that in my life. How do I overcome the fear?
0: Have you ever experienced physical symptoms that made you fear that something was wrong? Maybe a pain, a swelling, something that was an indicator that something just wasn't right. Well, it can be pretty scary, can't it? When something like that happens, most of us go to the doctor, tell him or her our symptoms, and then trust that he can prescribe what we need to get better. Well, as we're going to learn today, we can do the very same thing with the spiritual symptoms that come from fear. A
1: doctor can recognize symptoms and have a pretty good idea what's going on, but a doctor knows that he needs to find the source. Fear can come from Satan or fear can come from self. Is the enemy causing this enemy? me? How much of this is me and my, my fear or my anger, my pride, my whatever it is that's keeping me?
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Last week Pastor Clay took us to Deuteronomy chapter 1 and the story of how the nation of Israel refused to go into the promised land because of fear. We looked at four symptoms of fear that keep us from moving forward with God in our lives. Well, today, Pastor Clay is going to give us the prescription for overcoming fear in our lives.
1: Fear is a sickness that spreads. It spreads and can consume our lives, but it will spread to other people's lives. It will spread to our friends. It will spread to our families. It can spread to a church. It can spread to a people group, a nation, a
0: neighborhood. God doesn't want us living in fear because fear keeps us from discovering the life God wants for us and it keeps us from being able to fully glorify God in our lives. So let's get started. Last week
1: we started talking about fear and what fear does to us and the impact that fear can have on us. And of course, and I'll talk more about this, but I'm referring specifically to fear in our spiritual lives, fear that keeps us from being and accomplishing what God wants us to do. Every single one of you in this room today, every single person who will listen or watch uh, this sermon, there's so much. If you had any idea how much God wants to do with and through your life, fear can be one of those things that can keep us from accomplishing what God desires to do in and through us. And last week, I won't read it all again this week, but last week we we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and the story of where Moses recounts the nation of Israel refusing to go into the land that God had promised to them hundreds of years before. If you were here, you know what I'm talking about. They refused to go in because of fear. And from Deuteronomy chapter 1, we looked at what I called four symptoms of fear. I'm not a medical doctor, and as y'all reminded me last week, I don't play one on TV, and I didn't say to Holiday Inn Express last night. But I am a doctor, as my grandson recently learned, one of my grandsons recently learned. And uh, so I'm just approaching it from this idea of symptoms and, and cures, prescriptions, and that sort of thing. Because I look at fear as a sickness. And it is a, fi- it is a sickness. It is a sickness. Is that a word? <laughs> fear is a sickness that spreads. It spreads and can consume our lives, but it will spread to other people's lives. It will spread to our friends. It will spread to our families. It can spread to a church. It can spread to a, to a people group, a nation, a neighborhood. And last week in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we looked at four symptoms that are a result of the sickness of fear. One of those symptoms, if you were here, you know this, just briefly to say it and encourage you, if you weren't here, go back, watch that sermon, listen to it online, whatever the case may be. You can go straight to our website, find it on there. But one of the symptoms was paralysis. We talked about paralysis in the context of the nation of Israel They're right there and Moses, said, hey, look here. God's giving you this land, ready to go, head out. And they froze, paralysis, because of fear. That's, That's one of the symptoms of fear. It will cause you to freeze and not move forward with what God has for your life. The second symptom that we looked at was bad eyesight. Fear will cause you to see only the bad in a situation and not the good. In the nation of Israel, it's like, here it is, and they sent in the spies, and y'all were here, and like, oh yeah, here's, here's, here's a bunch of grapes, and it's flowing with milk and honey, and it says, fantastic. All this land before you, these cities that are ready to move into, and these homes that are ready to, all of this stuff, it's all, look at it, look at it, look at it. But they couldn't see it. That's what fear does. It will blind you to the good, and it will cause you to only see the bad. Oh, we, we can't go in. Those cities are too fortified. Those people are too big. We, we don't, we, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We have no chance. Right? That's what fear will do. It'll cause bad eyesight. Third symptom that we looked at, we said, was amnesia. Fear will give you amnesia. Say that word with me. Amnesia. It's just kind of a cool word to say. Fear will cause you to forget what God has done in the past. Isn't that what Moses said to him? Listen, don't you remember all the miracles that God brought to get you out of Egypt in the first place when when the Pharaoh said, oh, I'm never going to let him go? You remember what God did? And you remember how God provided water in the wilderness? Remember how he provided food in the wilderness? Remember how God did this and God did that and God parted the Red Sea and God did They forgot. They forgot. That's what fear will do. It will cause amnesia. And when you forget what God has done in the past, here's what will happen. When you forget what God has done in the past, it will keep you from trusting him with your future. And then the third, or the fourth, sorry, fourth symptom that we looked at was back pain. That fear will cause back pain because if you if you freeze, if you have problems, if you refuse to move forward with God, very often he's sending you back to the wilderness where you're going to experience more pain in your life because he loves you and is trying to get you to a place where you can have what he wants you to have. But oftentimes people refuse and they have to turn back. So those are kind of the symptoms of. Fear and what it will do to our lives. And I left you, I think we left you last week, with this question. How do I overcome the fear? And remember, we're talking specifically about fear in regards to spiritual matters. We're not talking about fear of spiders or snakes or fear of flying or Freddy Krueger or anything that we're talking about. Fear specifically in regards to my spiritual life and where God wants to take me, what God wants to do with me, what God wants to accomplish, how God wants to work in my life, the fear that keeps me from those types of things. How do I overcome that? If you would sit here this morning and you say, well, I can see myself in something. I can can look at times, maybe even right now in my life, where fear is keeping me from something or moving forward or just Whatever, how do I overcome that? I don't want to live my life in fear. I don't want fear to have that much control over my life. Can y'all relate to that? Y'all know what I'm saying? Has there been times when fear has just controlled your life? I don't want that in my life. How do I overcome the fear? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because there is a prescription. And I want to give you that prescription this morning. That's what we're going to take a few moments looking at today. We're not going to read the Deuteronomy text again where we saw the symptoms, but we are going to look at a text and deal with the prescription. You all ready? Okay. How do I overcome fear? Well, here's here's what one of the things you have to where you have to start. You have to discover the source of fear. If you want to overcome fear in your life, it really is important that you discover where this fear is coming from. And it has been my experience in life and I think I can back this up with with Scripture and, and just observation of people's life, but fear tends to come from one of two places and or some combination thereof. And they are Satan and self. That fear, and again, we're referring to spiritual matters, right? Fear of advancing in the kingdom or what God wants for me or all that sort of thing. That fear tends to come from one of two sources or a combination thereof, either Satan or self. Now, I think that we can see or we would all pretty much readily agree with the idea that fear can come from Satan, right? He is your adversary. He is real. He is alive and active in this world. And he does not want you to advance in your walk with Christ. He does not want you to experience what God wants you to experience in your life. He does not want you to have all that God desires for you to have. He does not want you to share your faith. He does not want you to live out the Christ-like life. And fear is one of the tools that he will use to keep us paralyzed, frozen, not moving forward with our life. That description, you remember that description that Peter gives us of Satan, 1 Peter 5, 8, where he says, Stay alert, watch out, for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, that passage of Scripture is not only a warning, it's also a description of how Satan works. A lion that is on the the prowl. I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to be someplace, especially at night, when you can hear a lion's roar but a lion's roar will pretty much strike fear into the heart of pretty much anybody and everybody. And it will cause you to just freeze. And that's what Satan will do in our lives. He, he, he is looking for the opportunity as he prowls about, as he's looking for someone. And it's kind of like those movies. It all of a sudden, and here comes this, and just fear that keeps you. From moving forward, it comes from Satan. I think we can realize that. Let's face it. Listen, I'm just going to I'm just tell you all this. He has done a masterful job in a significant number of professing followers of Jesus of of. Using fear to cause us to freeze and to, to not speak up. Can I just tell you this to you? To not speak up on social issues that affect our culture. He has used the culture to cause people to freeze and not, not speak up, not speak out, not say anything on cultural issues like, like homosexuality and, and and same-sex marriage and transgenderism and what bathroom you ought to be able to go into and whatever the next sexually deviant behavior coming down the road will be, he'll use, he uses fear. Why? Because we're afraid of being accused of hate speech or being intolerant. Why is it that only Christians are, are accused of being intolerant? Why, they can be intolerant of me, but I can't be intolerant of behavior that God says, this is not, not good for y'all. I don't know. Anyway, that's... Right? And that's what he will do. He just, so we just, we just freeze. We just clam up. We just, so I think we can see how Satan is at work and he's active and he's causing fear and that sort of thing. But fear can also come from self, from myself. Maybe it's fear sometimes that if I I do it Jesus way, if I do the whole God thing and I uh, place my faith in Christ and I want to follow him and I want to live life according to how he says, hey, this is what's best for you. Go this way, do this, act this way. That if I do that, somehow I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out on something. I, I, I've heard that a lot, uh, particularly when I was in student ministry. I'd hear that a lot from, from some teenagers or young adults. You sometimes hear that, yeah, pastor, I, I, know, I, I know I ought to follow Jesus. But I really just feel like I want to I live some before I do. <laughs> As if following Jesus in some way is, is not really living. I talk about this some in my... Not New York Times best-selling book, but shame on us followers of Jesus if we have at some point made people believe that following Christ was anything less than exciting and vibrant and joyful and and you know what I'm saying? Shame on us if we have somehow said, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian." Uh, I, I don't know. I, that was my. That's like the worst bad Christian impersonation I've ever ever done. But but shame on us if somehow we have cause people to think that following Jesus means you're going to miss out on something exciting. Maybe it's, maybe it's fear, and I, maybe you can relate to this, maybe it's fear that we'll be looked at as less intelligent, less smart, less socially acceptable, because we actually believe that there is a God who spoke the universe into existence, who literally physically came down to earth, lived a perfect life, chose to lay down his life on the cross and then literally physically three days later got up out of the cross and came back to life. We actually believe that. And that somehow you, oh, you believe that stuff? You you believe a guy came back to life? I'm I'm counting on it, man. (laughs) I'm counting on it. But we're afraid somehow, oh, oh, you're one of those. And so, you know, we're not socially acceptable. Maybe it's fear that... Somehow economically we'll lose out if we follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe we won't get that promotion at work because they know that, I, that I'm going to do it Christ's way. Maybe I'll be singled out and even attacked because of somebody that hates Christianity. Listen, we live in a culture that has pretty much rejected So those kind of things can happen. There's no question about that. But I I would just say this. Do you and I really want to stand before God someday and try to explain to him why we're unwilling to move forward with him because of economic loss? I, I don't think we want to do that. So fear can come from Satan or fear can come from self. And you and I need to be able to understand that because a doctor can recognize symptoms and have a pretty good idea what's going on. But a doctor knows that he needs or she needs to find the source and you can evaluate your life and you can say, how much of this is, is the enemy causing this in me? How much of this is just me and my, my fear or my anger, my pride, my whatever it is, it's keeping me? And diagnose the source of my fear. Having then discovered the source, where do we go from there? Well, here's what you got to do. You got to discover the solution for fear. Like I said, I, I don't want to give in to fear. I don't want to live a life where I'm not moving forward with God? Is there a solution? Why, yes. Yes, there is. (laughs) Not surprisingly, we find it in the Word of God. Uh, We'll have it up on the screen, but you can turn to 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, if you like. We're just going to park on that one verse, because that's where we're going to find the solution for the sickness of fear in your life. We're going to break it apart and look at it. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. I'm going to I'm, rather than read it to you from the New American Standard today I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation we bring it up on the screen what's the solution what's the prescription well the prescription starts with finding the source of my fear now I've got to find the solution for my fear 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 looks like this for God has not given us a spirit listen why don't y'all say that out loud with me you re, will you read it with me please for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power love love and self-discipline. I think the New American Standard just says discipline. Uh, the King James, I think, says sound mind. It's carrying the, all carrying that same idea. Read it to me, with, with me one more time. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. That's not from God, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Now, in the context, we know that Paul is referring specifically to not having fear, not being timid about sharing our faith. Because he goes on in verse 8 and he says, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength, or that power, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. So in the context, he's talking about sharing your faith. But obviously it would apply to any area of your life where God is working and, and moving and trying to pull you along in this thing and advance you in, in your walk with him or your understanding of him or your, or your uh, plans that he has for you, all that kind of thing, that it would apply to any of those areas that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Okay, so question then becomes... How do, I discover, how, do I, how do I discover what is the solution for fear? I've, I've, got to, I've got to have this prescription that I've got to do. Let's look at the prescription and what it looks like for our lives. Here's what it, how it breaks down. First, tap into God's power. If you like to fill in blanks, you can do that on the back of your information sheet. But we have to tap into God's power. Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of what? What is it? Say it again. Thank you. I'm just trying to keep you all in, engaged here. God didn't give us fear. He didn't give us timidity. We've, we, just, we talked about the source of those. Source comes from either Satan or comes from, from myself or some mixture thereof. That's not from God, but we know that what he has given us, he says, is power. And so we have to tap into that power because if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you you know that you've committed your life to him and have an understanding of what that means, then Scripture is clear that you have the power of God available to you because Jesus himself says, Luke uh, chapter 24, Jesus says, you are clothed with power from on high, from from the throne of God, from heaven, from, from the very God himself, you are clothed, you are wrapped in power from on high. I just would have amen to that part. I'm just telling you. The idea of being clothed with power from on high, I would have amend that. But since I'm up here and not out there, uh, well, I can still amen. 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 Amen, Pastor Clay. Preach it. You're clothed from power on, from on high. And so I have this power that is available to me. And listen, not just the power to cleanse me from my sin, as critical as that is, but power for every day in my life. Power to overcome fear. Power to overcome temptation. Power to overcome anything that the enemy would throw at me. God's power is available to me. But, and this is a big but, having access to God's power does not automatically mean that you are living in the reality of God's power. Let me say that again because it's really important. Because I get this from people. I get like, oh yeah, I'm saved. Having access to God's power does not automatically mean living in the reality of God's power in your life on a daily basis. Okay, think of it this way. Some of y'all will get hold of this. It's like, it's like Luke Skywalker, right? Yeah, Cale's Kale's the most animatic. He's like, oh, yeah, It's a student pastor thing. I don't know what it is. It's like Luke Skywalker, right? Now, listen to me. I am not... Comparing the power of God to the force, okay? It's just an illustration. But it's like Luke Skywalker. What did Darth Vader in his TIE fighter say about Luke Skywalker when he was chasing him in episode four? Yeah, right? Isn't that what he says? The force is strong in this one. Right? Isn't that what he says? But Luke still had to... Learn the ways of the force. He had access to the force, but he didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily tapped into the force. Listen, he couldn't even lift his X-wing fighter out of the swamp on Dagobah until Yoda taught him. Wow, I sound like a Star Wars nerd, don't I? He couldn't even lift his X-wing fighter out of the swamp on Dagobah until Yoda showed him. You may... Truly know Christ your Savior, and I pray that every person does. You may be clothed in His power, which has cleansed you from your sins, but that does not automatically mean that you are tapping into that power with your life. Okay, okay, I'll bite. What do I got to do to tap into the power? I'm trying to get to this solution for this prescription. You tell me I got to tap into His power, but it doesn't come automatically. How do I tap into His power? That's what y'all were thinking, right? All right, here's how you tap into His power. You ready? Here we go. Can I I say this to you? No offense, but you don't have what it takes to overcome what comes at you. That's why you got got to have this power. You don't have what it takes to overcome what comes at you. And and neither do I, by the way. So we got to tap into this power. How do I tap into the power? Well, you have to seek God. You got to seek God. I'm talking intentional. I'm going after God. I want to know him. I want to hear him. I want to pursue him with my life. I have to seek God god if i want to tap into his power because because if you're seeking after the things of the world which which all of us can do right if you're seeking after the things of the, of the world you need not expect god's power to help you accomplish that why because he doesn't want you to come that. that's that's not what he's created you for he hasn't created you to chase the things of the world to seek the things of the world he's created you to seek him to know him to walk with him to experience him I always feel like I need to explain this when I say seeking God and and not the things of the world that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that you exclude anything and everything and everybody else from your life to seek God it doesn't mean that you that you go live in a cave twenty four seven and you know open the Bible and only pray and and read the scripture twenty four seven and no, no, you go, you go out into the world, you go to school, you go to your workplace, you go and interact in the world. You, you enjoy the things of the world, it doesn't mean you should, now there may be some things that need to be excluded from your life just because they're not healthy for you, they're not God honoring and they're not what God has you, there may be some things that need to be excluded from your life, but it doesn't mean that everything excluded from your life to seek God. You can talk about how good the new Mustang looks, or the Stinger, the new Stinger, If anybody just happened to get a new stinger, uh, key a stinger around here, I don't know. But. So, it, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you, you can't go to a ball game and enjoy a ball game. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you can't have 10 guitars on your wall. If anybody happens to have 10 guitars on their wall. What it does mean is that I have to, I have to realign some of the things in my life. If I'm going to seek God, then I have to realign some things in my life where that seeking God... And my relationship with Him is the priority of my life. Everything else is there, and it can, and yes, I do this. I go to work. I, I go to school. I interact with this. I have these friends. I, I do these things. I enjoy snow skiing or whatever a person does all those kind of things. That's fine. That's good. But but the, to seek God means that that all of those things come in. They come in their pro- proper perspective. They come in their proper place, which is underneath my relationship with God. Whether it's your career whether it's your school, whether it's your family, well, no matter what it is, is this idea that I'm seeking, that God, I want to know you, I want to pursue you, I want to understand you, I want to have this thing with you. If you want to tap into his power, that has to be, you have to be proactive about it. You have to be saying, you know what, I, I have to think about this, seeking God. Seek God, second idea, connected to this tapping in the power, you have to submit to God. Listen, that's why this, this pray 18 thing that we got going on, one of, one of the things, the the why the and P-R-A-Y is yield. You have to be submitted. You have to yield to God because he's created you for a purpose of knowing him and having a relationship with him and going your own way and doing your own thing will never bring you to the place where you can tap into his power, right? You just, you can't, you won't. If you want to, if you want to experience his power, you want to tap into that power, you so that you can overcome fear and temptation and all those things in your life, then you have to submit your life to him. Really quiet when I said, when I said that. Because I know that's hard. This idea of not my will, God. Because we know what we want, right? We want this, we want that, we want to see this. But am I willing to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I, I may not see it all, I may not understand it all, but God, I'm 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 submitting my life to you. I'm surrendering to you. I'm yielded to you. Lord God, you'd use me, you do with me, you accomplish what you would desire to do. It's not what I would do, or I think of this, or this or that, or God, have you thought about this one or whatever it is we come up with? But in the end, it's willing to say, Not my will, but your will be done. God, it's submitting to Him. This is this is a requirement for tapping into His power. I'm just telling you right now. And then the third idea is this, is to serve God. And listen, I, I'm not just talking about, you know, showing up here on Sunday and ser- Yes, we have lots of needs and lots of places where people can serve and everybody ought to be serving. There's no question about that. Uh, there, there's a place for you to serve in different ways. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just the idea of just serving God every day with my life. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time... When you got up, you got out of bed, you got ready to start your day, whether you're going anywhere or going to work or school or where? when's the last time you got up and said, God, how can I serve you today? What can I do for you today, God? In what way can I best serve you? You know, we're always quick to go to God with what we need, Right? We're always quick to go to God and tell him how we, what we need him to do for us. And that, that's fine. That's good. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That is an act of faith when we do that, when we go to God that way. That's an act of faith. He is pleased. He wants us to come to him. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm just saying, is there room ever in our lives to say, God, what can I do for you today? How can I serve you in some way? In some cases, after God picks himself up off the floor, <laughs> he might say, I'm glad you asked me that question. I got a person over here that, that you work with. They, they are, they are they're just terrible. They, they're mean and mad at everybody. They, they act terrible. They, they, don't, they don't do half the job that you do and they probably are two levels up in pay. But their mother's dying of cancer and they, that nobody's ever told her. They would never tell that and it's affecting their life and they're just angry and they're just bitter. I need you to just go over and, and just tell them today that, that you appreciate them, appreciate what they do. Serving God, it, it it might be helping a person that needs help. It might be just going out and saying, "Wow, the the beauty of these these flowers that are springing up and, and these dogwoods that are blooming and red buds and man, it's such beauty. God, you're awesome. The way you created all this stuff and that it might just be, but just the idea. You know, understand sure what I'm saying? It's just serving God. God, how can I help you? What can I do for you today? Okay. Those are just three components. If I want to tap into this power, which I need, God has not given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power. power. If I want that power, then I have to do those things. I have to seek God. I have to. I have to submit to God. I have to serve God with my life. And if I do that, what I find is that God. Imp- this power is there, so that all of a sudden I'm able to overcome some of those obstacles. That because I'm, because I'm so focused on Him, that all of a sudden I'm not. I'm not blind to what God is doing. You understand what I'm saying? All of a sudden, I'm not seeing only the bad stuff. I'm like, man, right? Power, his power to operate in our lives. Uh, need that in life. All right, that, that's, that's part of the prescription. Here we go. Here, here's here's a, another, another part. First John 4, 4, he says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's, it's his power. Do you remember that study from 1 John we, we went through? Do you remember that verse? His power is greater than whatever your, your problem is. So, before we move on, let me ask you this question today. Ask your, or let me get you to ask yourself this question. You don't have to do it out loud, but just in your own mind right now to ask yourself this question. Am I living in the reality of God's power? I mean, am I really living in the reality of it? Because I'm going to tell you this. If you are living in the reality, because if you're thinking, well, how would I know? You won't be giving in to fear. You'll be having victories over temptations. You'll be experiencing the joy and the victory that God brings to your life. And if, and if that's, that sort of thing is missing in your life, you're finding yourself fearful, depressed, down, just suffering from circumstantial kind of stuff that gets at you, then it could be that you're not tapped into God's power for your life. Okay, so Paul says, God's not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power. Here's what else uh, he says. He says that we can trust in God's love, Right? Isn't that what he said? For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and, say it, love. Power and love. God has given his love. What is it? Again, from that study from 1 John that we did, where it's 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. Why? Say it. Because perfect love casts out all fear in the midst of of your circumstance and those things that would cause you to freeze and not see what God is doing and not remember what God had done in the past, in the midst of those moments, to be able to stop and say, "No, what? now wait a minute. Let's back up the train just a minute." God loves me. What? What? What can this world do? What can this? world do against me. Well, how can this world have victory? God loves me. The, the one who spoke the world into existence. The one who is all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere present. He loves me. Do you understand what he's saying? Perfect love casts out fear. When I have a perfect understanding of that fee, of that love, then I can live in this reality. I don't I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear what what the devil's going to do this or that. I know their reality. I know people will come here. I know that kind of stuff. As Again, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Not that people won't come against us. Not that the the world and the system and the enemy, not that those things necessarily won't come against us. But what Paul is saying, he's not not denying that reality. What he's saying is, "What, what are they? What are they in comparison to the God who loves you? Knowing that, accepting that idea of his love, helps you overcome the fear. Let me give you an example. I I first told this story years ago when I was invited to to speak at Southeastern Seminary, and I've told it once or twice since then, so a number of years ago. But when my boys were little, we used to go on vacation with them. Now, when you go on vacation and you don't have a lot of discretionary dollars, as we didn't, vacation means going to their grandparents' house having enough gas to get there, and then grandparents taking care of everything and have enough gas to get back. That's vacation. But when you go on vacation, and your grandparents, you go to see your grandparents, uh, the most critical part of the trip to see your grandparents, when you when you got little kids, is to stop at a motel. Not, a, not a, a fancy one. What's fancy, the hotel or motel? Hotel is fancy. Hotel, hotel has like inside doors, yeah, we always stayed those outside doors, you know, motel. It, now, the, the motel may or may not have a continental breakfast. The hotel may or may not have free Wi-Fi that didn't even exist back then. The hotel may or may not even have a color TV, but the, the motel better have a swimming pool. Dating the kids on vacation, motel better have a swimming pool. So we would, we would get, you know, we'd pull up and we'd get to the motel and sitting, sitting and I'd still be unloading the car and the three boys, already they already got their bathing suits on, they're just waiting at the door, ready to go, right? They're ready to like get in the pool. And so we would carry them down to the pool and we'd, we'd have a big time. And one of the things that we do, and you, you, if, you've, if you've had raised kids or whatever, you, you know this or that sort of thing, but, but I would get down in the pool, right? And I would try and get them to, to come to me, to jump down to me. You know, come on, JC. Come on, Todd. Come on, Travis, you can do it. Now, when you're, when you're down there and you're looking down into the pool, it's really probably not that far and the water's clear. But when you're two, three, four years old, it's kind of scary. Look down in there and you're like, come on, you can do it. And you have to do a little coaxing, right? Have y'all ever done this? You got to do a little coaxing. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Come on, you can do it. Fear, right? Fear. That's what's keeping them from jumping, right? fear of of the depth of the water fear of that fear of what fear right but you keep coaxing and say come on you can do it come on come on you can do it and little travis over there and he'd be ready to go and at some point right now i can't do this anymore because of my leg but or i probably shouldn't do it because of my leg but so i'll get at this level So they're standing in the pool, right? And you're like, come on, you can do it. Jump, jump, jump. And they're like, they're looking down at the water and they're looking at you and they're looking down at the water. They're looking at you and and they're looking over at mom and she's like, "Mm." and so, you know, right? What? And so, but this amazing thing happens eventually. What do they do? They jump. And what happens? They drown and it's a... (laughs) No, you, you catch them, right? You catch them you catch them and that's like that and, and they're like that was awesome that was the most incredible thing in the world that free fall jump and, and falling and, and catching and so guess what happens they with their little swimmies on they make their way over to the ladder and they get back up and they, and they come back around and, and they, they come back to where you are and, and they're like uh, 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 and they jump again right and in no time flat man they're shoom 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 shoom, 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 shoom and just wearing you out right what happened what changed did did the did the the height from the edge of the pool to the water change no did the depth of the pool change that's right nothing changed except their recognition that their father loved them and would always catch them that his arms would always be open and he would always catch them when they jumped god has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity but of power and of love it's the realization that God loves me and his arms are open wide and I can jump I can jump into whatever God has for me without fear knowing that he'll be there for me and that he'll catch me that helps me overcome my fear do you understand do you understand listen can I say this to you thank you my sister i hear that i affirm that can I, can, I, can i can i just tell you this the enemy does not want you to Succeed. He does not want... He, it, just the very idea that you could be called a child of God and that you could live a victorious life in God and that you can be used by God to impact others' lives. He hates that. But listen to me. The devil's hate is no match for God's love. Every time, the devil's hate is never a match for God's love. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of... Here's the last one. Here's what you got to do. You got to take responsibility for self-discipline. Sound mind or discipline or self-discipline. It's all carrying that same idea that I'm taking responsibility for this self-discipline. Look at it one more time. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline in my life. There's no way around this. Self-discipline is... Is one of the most critical components for the life of a believer in Jesus Christ, and there's no way around this either. American Christians are terrible at self-discipline. Terrible at self-discipline. As a general rule, I'm not. You, you may have it all together, and you, your time. I'm just telling you that person after person I've talked with through the years struggles with the idea. Well, how much time are you spending with God? Well, you know, I I know I need to do do. You spend some time in prayer. Well, I'm trying to, you know, but it's hard to. Listen, God says, Clay, at some point, you just got, you got to own this thing. You got to, you got to, you got to, You've got to get it together. You've got to have a little bit of self discipline in your life and desire to know me, desire to have my power working in your life, desire to see uh, victory over fear and everything. You've got to take some responsibility for the self discipline. Now, I'm not talking about just, you know, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, grin and bear it kind of thing. I'm talking about a supernaturally infused self discipline where God convicts us and equips us to build in self discipline into our life so that fear is put in the rearview mirror. That's what we need. Hey, that rhymes. Fear is put in the rearview mirror. Write that down. Let me give you a practical example, okay? And this is that There's no ulterior motive here. This was just an idea that I thought of. Yeah, that's a perfect example of how self-discipline overcomes fear in your life, all right? Uh, Scripture tells me that I am to practice biblical tithing. If I do not give at least 10% of my income back to God... I am out of his will because I'm breaking his command. It's clearly in Scripture. I'll show anybody that wants to walk through it. That Clearly, Scripture, right? That I need to do this. But do you know what the number one reason given for people who do not practice biblical tithing, the number one reason they give, for people that actually are, you know, profess to be believers and they want to do it. Number one reason, you already know what it is, don't you? Number one reason people f- fail to practice biblical tithing? Fear, that's right. Fear, I fear I w- I won't have enough to pay my b- bills. Fear, I, I, I won't be able to fix my car if it breaks down. Fear, if I get a flat tire, I won't be able to get a new flat tire. Fear, I won't be able to take my kids on a nice vacation if I, if I don't want, want if, I, if, I, if, I, if I give away 10% of my income back to God through the local church. Fear, it's the number one reason that people give for why they don't practice biblical tithing. But now, listen, to watch this now. If I affect self-discipline in my life and say, well, this is what God's word says. And that's what Cindy and I, you know, many, 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 many years ago when we thought, geez, we're new believers. I'm like, that's what God says. I don't, that's. If, we, if, we, if we put into play this self-discipline and say, I'm going to do it. I, I, I have to do it if I want to be in God's will. So I'm going to give 10% of my income back to God. If I do that and I, and I put that self-discipline into place, I thereby, and I'll sit here, I'll give you testimony after testimony. We'll give you 30, 40 years of testimonies. I put into place the the opportunity for God to show that his provision is bigger than my need. I, I, by faith, practice self-discipline, step out over my fear and do it anyway, thereby presenting the opportunity for God to show that he's able to meet my needs exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think, as Scripture says. And something miraculous happens. When God proves himself, when I, when I practice self-discipline and do it, and God proves himself, where's fear? Gone. Gone. Because God has proven himself, because I've practiced self-discipline. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power and love and self Discipline. I'm just saying in your life there are there's some self discipline that you may need to put into practice that God will then take and use to overcome a fear in your life. Whether it's tithing or whether it's sharing your faith or whether it's when you step out and say, That's what the word says, that's what I'm gonna do. You're gonna be amazed at what God does. And then you're gonna come to this place where you're gonna say, what was I even afraid of? Here, I, I want to give eleven percent, 13. Did I hear fourteen? Just uh, just getting y'all going. Listen, I don't know what you think about this statement, but uh, famous Bible scholar, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, when a man is defeated by life, a man meaning mankind, a person in general, when man is defeated by life, it is always due ultimately to the fact that he is suffering from a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is the real, the ultimate cause of all failure in life and all unhappiness. I thought about that statement a lot cuz at first I'm like mm, I don't but you know what I think he's right. I think it's fear of fear of not succeeding, fear of being made to look bad, fear of somebody else getting the better of me if I you know all this kind of stuff. I think fear it's real, it's a sickness. It it causes those symptoms and maybe more that we described last week, but there is there's a cure, there's a prescription. And it's available to every single person. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You got to have that. You got to. You got to know. You got to have been to the cross and experienced his his power, uh, cleansing you of your sin. But then it's tapping into that power, for your life. It's trusting in his love for you that he'll never let you go. He'll catch you every time you jump. We've been jumping for forty years, and he's he's caught us every time. And that if I will if I will just build some self-discipline into my life, if I'll take responsibility for what I ought to be as a follower of Christ, God will take fear out. He'll kick it to the curb where it belongs and I can move forward in this journey. Fear factor is real, but so is God's power to overcome it.
0: Israel was on the brink of a great victory. The promise that had been made hundreds of years before was about to be fulfilled, but fear caused them to fail. Of course, the same thing can happen in our lives. God is always leading us into new territory, always trying to take us farther in our spiritual walk with Him. As Pastor Clay explained in today's message, fear causes a host of symptoms. But as we also learned, God is the prescription for victory over all of our fears. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church. But instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids' program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. I want to you to the cross. I want you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.